Developing an autonomous vehicle is a very attractive problem to solve because it's hard and it looks solvable. And you, you know, this, this has been an insight over the last five years. It's the last 5% that's, that's killer, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, been driving a car for a few decades now and have probably driven a million miles. You know, what, what do I know that I can teach my kids as they're learning to drive? Hmm. Um, you know, and can a computer learn those things, teach those things in certain ways? Yes, but you know, we know from the recent examples with crews in San Francisco and cones and construction and <laughs> um, you know ambulances and things like that. There's there's just a lot of edge cases that are hard. Welcome to the Mobility Innovators Podcast. everyone welcome to another episode of mobility innovators podcast i'm your host jaspal singh mobility innovator podcast invite key innovator in the transportation and logistics sector to share their experience and future forecast in this episode we'll be discussing the role of venture capital in mobility space a today guest is a general partner of fm capital fm capital is a venture capital firm focuses on technology which are transforming transportation industry he is responsible for fund leadership investment strategy and portfolio management Prior to setting the fund, he was the president of Zipcar, where he led the company expansion, creating the world's largest car sharing network. He was also the CEO of Flexcar, a vehicle subscription company, CEO and chairman of Chrysler Canada, and managing director of Summit System, a European technology startup. I'm so happy to welcome Mark Norman, general partner, FM Capital. Now it's time to listen and learn. Hello, Mark. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. And I'm looking forward to our discussion because your experience uh, as an operator and investor, that's what I feel the, the mobility startup requires. Somebody who understands the space and also can support in the growth journey. Thank you. It's a privilege to join you today. Really appreciate it. Great. Now, let's start our discussion with your personal journey. Uh, and I saw you had such a long uh, professional career. You were the CEO of Daimler Chrysler Canada. And we discussed like you were in Windsor, Canada, and, and it's good to know, like you mentioned, a lot of people don't think Windsor is a part of Canada, but I believe it's a, it's very much part of Canada. And later you became the CEO of Flexcar. And in 2007, the company merged with uh, Zipcar and you became the president at Zipcar. The company was later acquired by Avis. So I, I feel you are like a lucky person. Whenever you join a company, it got acquired by a bigger player. So, so you had uh, such a good operating experience and managed two big exits. And in 2015, you decided to join First Move, or which is also called FM Capital, as a uh, general partner. So I'm very curious to know, like, why did you shift your career from operator to investor? And also, can you share some highlight uh, of your professional journey? Like, you've seen so many spaces, you see the mobility evolving. What did you see how the mobility space evolved in the last three, four decades? Yeah, there's there's a lot there. Thank you. Um you know, when you think of a career a little bit like a movie, um, I hope mine is still in production. Uh, and okay. It's not over <laughs> yet. Um, and it's just a fascinating industry that continues to change. It's it's big. Uh, we used to say a lot when I was in government relations in Canada about how many jobs get affected by mm -hmm. the auto and mobility industry. And at the time, and it's changed a little bit, but I mean, it's about one in six, maybe one in seven, and even worldwide. Uh, mobility is about 12 or 13% of global GDP. So it's large and it's in transition. A um, couple questions in there. When you 
ask about highlights. Um, you know, I, I think back to the movie, there are certainly frames in the movie that are moments in time that are awesome and exciting. I mean, I think, you know, ringing the bell on the New York stock, uh, well, the NASDAQ exchange yeah. uh, is a really fun moment and, and super cool. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's only a couple hours out of somebody's time. <laughs> Um, and really the the kind of movie clip or the reel behind that is building great companies. Um, mm -hmm. And so that to me is what's really exciting and encouraging and fulfilling in this growing transformative space is building businesses that are making a difference. So then to the question you asked about moving from operator to investor. Yes. Um, we had the privilege of being backed by some of the best VCs on the planet. I mean, specifically, and, and again, that's maybe arguable, but many, many, many would agree. Uh, companies like Benchmark mm. and Greylock and Revolution um, with their founders like Bob Cagle and Bill Hellman yeah. and Steve Case and Don Davis, um, who were all on the board and very active with Zipcar in that growth, is a privilege, frankly, a lot of entrepreneurs and, and management teams don't have yeah. um for a lot of startups you know the vc is a is a dark misunderstood not understood business hey these guys girls are busy hard to reach a little short difficult and our experience was tremendous value add uh and i think the other point i would add is in shifting to the investment side or or known by entrepreneurs sometimes as the dark side um <laughs> to the the vc side was uh to be invested in a portfolio where you can add your greatest value in a small way across a number of companies as opposed to the ups and downs mm -hmm. of doing a little bit of everything in one company so there's a bit of a diversification element but also an application of some of your best talents to more companies. So that was the reason for the shift for me that I made uh, eight years ago and what's really been kind of a second career for me where I was a little more of a hired gun operator than a growth leader. And then frankly, I, I run a small business today. It's, you know, And I've got a co-leader with it, a co-managing partner, and we're only about 10 people. So I relate to mm -hmm. startup world very closely, even in my own business. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And I, I really loved your analogy about career as a movie and it's still in progress. And I know many more blockbuster scenes are about to come and, and we are looking forward to that. But that's a good point when you say like people see that success, but there is a lot in back, which is happening. And you put a lot of work in the background, which a lot of people don't know because they see just the final movie, not the unfinished one or not the unedited one. And your point about uh, working with operator and getting, you know, having a right investor on your board is is a big blessing because entrepreneurship is a lonely journey and finding a right partner will will help you to make the journey easier and better. Now, you mentioned about uh, you joined this from FM Capital. Now, I want to know a little more about FM Capital and fund is doing very great. I saw it was set up in 2012 with the fund one with $40 million, but then the fund two was $90 million. And in 2021, uh, you guys raised 150 million. So the fund three. Can you share an overview of uh, FM Capital and your focus within the transportation and mobility sector? What you guys are looking now, and also what specific trend and technology are you more excited about in this space now? Because the space is evolving very fast. So what is keeping you excited at the job? 
Yeah, great. Uh, and again, a lot of questions in there too. Maybe it's helpful uh, to share a little story on the fund and how it got together. So um, FM Capital, um, two backstories on the name. One is Fraser McCombs, um, my partner, Chase Fraser, And Red McCombs is a well-known uh, Texas entrepreneur uh, who passed away earlier this year at the age of 95. He was involved in owning or starting uh, a 400 different businesses, including Clear Channel Communications, um, several professional sports teams like the Minnesota Vikings, um, uh, car dealership groups that had almost 80 dealerships at one point in time, and dozens and dozens and dozens of others. Red was a small part when my partner Chase wanted to... uh, We met, by the way. All the roads lead through Canada, by the way. Even though (laughs) he went to university at a very large school in Texas. I went to a very small school in Texas. Um, we're, uh, he lives in Colorado today. I live in Boston. And we met in Toronto when I was on the board of a company um, called SCI that was doing all the websites mm. for GM dealers in the US, for Mercedes dealers in Canada, and a number of other clients. They bought a company that Chase, my partner, founded uh, that was doing fixed op CRM. Think of what that means is so fixed operations is service in the car yeah. business. CRM is relationship That's management right. on when to bring customers in the door using yeah. spreadsheets to say um, now might be a good time. Now that sounds terribly quaint today, but 20 years ago it was a pretty novel idea. Um, we met when uh, the Canadian company acquired his company. Uh, became friends. He worked through an earnout period for a year or two. Um, and at that that point in time, he he realized, and I had seen this as well, uh, the industry was a little bit underserved by VC. It's a little hard to measure things like TAM, total addressable market, yep. uh, opportunity in the space. Um, the, the layers of selling of dealers and customers and things like that were not well understood by, by VC. So um, started the firm in 2012, um, small pilot fund of less than $40 million. It was a generalist fund, meaning it focused across industries um, and multi-stage uh, raised money in 100 days. Um, that was early. It was a pilot. There were lots of learnings, um, lots of things to do differently. Not unlike, frankly, you know, an early stage startup that makes a hard pivot I joined for the beginning of fund two, 100% autofocus, realized that our best strength was in series A companies that were ready for their first institutional capital. Um, A lot of enterprise software where his background had been, ours had been, uh, Zipcar was a tech company uh, as well. Uh, With select later stage investments where we would do later stage in areas where we really had thematic conviction, domain expertise, and influence with the team. So um, maybe that backstory is a bit helpful. And then now leading into your question on, hey, what do you invest in? Yeah. Um, so in the uh, mobility, transportation, automotive tech space, um, I think McKinsey coined the term uh, maybe five, 10 years ago of ACES. Um, hmm. acronym to understand. And the way we coin each of those terms, by the way, is um, autonomy and sensors. We yeah. really focus on automation. So not so much flying cars, but automating tasks that are hard to fill today. 
The C is connectivity and fleet management. We'll talk about that, I think, later uh, in our discussion. But opportunities there is uh, just everything becomes connected and cars yeah. become a bit of a smartphone on wheels. Um, the E for us is energy transition. A lot of it is electrification and the supporting ecosystem, but wouldn't rule out some other select applications of things like hydrogen and other uh, clean technologies. Um, then the last one on S is on shared mobility, but what that is is really um, asset light business models and marketplace. Mm. So um, yes, it's everything from, you know, in, a, in the shared space generically like Spotify um, mm. or Zipcar, um, but the software that supports those businesses and brings in market. And then we're very quick to bring uh, one even larger area over top of all, all of those, which is another A, and that's auto commerce. And you say, well, mm. what's that? But um, in some ways, that's the largest piece of all. It's how people yeah. consume transportation. Um, it's making car buying easier and more frictionless for both dealers and consumers uh, and enterprise software that makes that happen. Um, the business that uh, my partner uh, started and sold would also fall into that category. So those would be the five that we invest in and we can talk uh, about trends uh, and exits and opportunities that we see um, in just about across the board in those areas. But Amazing. No, that that's, that's a nice term ACES and, uh, and I agree with you, the automobile is a bigger sector and like mobility is part of our life. Everything, people, goods, everything need to be moved around. And when we, like the human actually evolved because of mobility, if there was no mobility, probably we will be still living in, in the primitive uh, stage. So I, I always feel, and you rightly said, there are not many funds who understand that. And, uh, and for founder, it's very important to go to fund like you who understand mobility and understand automation, understand uh, connectivity, because not only you can provide the required capital, but the knowledge to expand and grow. Now, you were the CEO of an automobile company. Like you mentioned earlier, you, you were managing uh, Daimler Chrysler, and you were also part of car sharing company, which is an interesting mix because uh, there are some company who try to bring both model at one place, but it failed. Like Ford Motor tried to do that in past. I'm curious to know what is your view on future of automobile industry? Do automobile industry need to look share mobility or car sharing as a future? And also, how do you see the future of uh, car dealership? Because if the car company starts selling or providing services directly, why would people need to go to car dealership? Yeah, great question. So um, there's a few things there. I mean, when you think about it at its core, I mean, certain things like... Um, you know, public transit is a shared mode or yep. anything that we ship by air or rail or truck, it, you know, in, inevitably is is a bit of sharing of a uh, resource that might be government owned and might be privately owned, like rail that's owned by, um, you know, a certain number of rail companies that, that update the infrastructure, for example. Yeah. Um, and so to your question, um, you know, we are seeing some really cool changes in, uh, you know, and there's a lot going on, right, even with COVID, right, with what happened mm -hmm. with uh, public transit ridership and um, how you felt about, you know, kind of clean personal space, uh, the explosion of micro mobility yeah. and scooter networks in cities, um, you know, has, has sort of uh, um, was the fastest uh, 
creation of a unicorn business and, and has had a couple cycles uh, that are almost equally quick on the downside as well. So um, I think to your question at a high level on the opportunities, you can see in each of these areas of technology that, that we've split them into, and there's clearly a lot of overlap and there's more changing all the time. We'll talk about some new trends as well today on, on, on this call. Uh, but technology is moving fast. And I think that means good things for consumers hmm. um, because it's more options, um, it's less friction and it's lower cost. We think that's good things for providers. There are certain uh, provisions that lend themselves well to large network operators. So some benefits accrue to scale, not unlike Zipcar, where yeah. um, we used to say uh, when we took Zipcar public, that car sharing had very, very low barrier to entry, but a very high barrier to scale. Um, mm. Running those businesses like that efficiently um, in that example and many others that we'll talk about require, deliver network returns, meaning the network, establishing the network of nodes, partners, parking spaces, things like that help make the total offering better. It drives word of mouth as well that says, um, hey, this is reliable wherever you go. And there are a number of businesses like that that we think are, are really exciting. So um, short answer to the question is, uh, I think I'm, it makes me think a little bit of a quote that's often attributed to um, Bill Gates, but um, I think it might've been originally coined by Alfred Mayo, who was a, a NASA consultant back in the okay. 60s. Um, my dad had worked for NASA uh, back then. Um, and he said that uh, people usually overestimate what can be done in the short term. Hmm. And they usually underestimate what can be done in the long term. And you're nodding because you've heard it before, that sentiment. Yeah. So it's not yeah. new. Um, Alfred may have not even coined it himself. Um, but there's with all the changes going on in mobility, there's a lot of talk about, hey, we're going to be, there were, there were discussions three or four years ago about ubiquitous robo-taxis by 2021. Mm, they're not. You know, there's talk about at what rate, you know, uh, certain cities will completely phase out ICE engines. And so a number of these things are at work, but the larger opportunity is things are moving fast to create alternatives that are cleaner, safer, and more efficient. Um, and so back to your question on, you know, is it a personally owned world where you buy from dealers or is it, you know, a dynamic shuttle yeah. model where you've got this, uh, um, you know, you let technology figure out where the bus goes and it picks you up? The answer is yes to both. Now, mm -hmm. you know, if you live in downtown of a large major city, you may have more interest in one of those than the other. And if you live out you know, in a more rural or less urban environment, you're going to be more dependent on a car. Let's yeah. just be honest. Um, and, and you're going to be super thoughtful about range if it's, if it's electric. But the fact that there are more cleaner, safer opportunities is good for everybody. No, that's a, that's a great answer. And I, I agree with you. We heard this quote many times that overestimating in short term and underestimating long term. But I never thought from the mobility perspective. And what you're saying is absolutely makes sense. Like a lot of people are cynical about robotaxi and a lot of people are too bullish about robotaxi, like it is coming tomorrow. 
but i think what you said the, the truth lies somewhere in the between like it will come probably it not come tomorrow but at the same time it is the lot of changes are happening now we are seeing in san francisco and other places where where things are happening so thanks thanks for sharing that perspective i think sometime it's important to look at different perspective on thing you know we know stuff but we never have a different perspective on stuff so what you said is absolutely right uh, the lies the truth lies somewhere in the between now you mentioned you guys are very bullish about connectivity and you are looking startup and investing in that space and i would say that our mobility sector is evolving very rapidly and we see lot of this vehicle to everything v2x communication which is going everywhere we are seeing connecting vehicle at the same time we are seeing new technology and new partnership now it's not the automobile company which are driving everything the electronic consumer electronical company like lg recently unveiled their uh, omnipod mobile cabin concept and there are a lot of other company like apple is looking to launch xiaomi in china they are looking to launch so a lot of technology companies are entering into this space how do you see relationship between this vehicle manufacturer tech company and telecommunication company provider evolve as a vehicle connectivity become a more integrated into automobile ecosystem and also i feel like uh, do you see that we see a big shift in the in the automobile space because of these technology companies are coming into the picture so there'll be like a the vehicle automobile manufacturer will just become like a hardware provider and rest all will be done by the technology company yeah great great question um you know you're you're definitely seeing a new sort of tier 1 ecosystem i mean it, it used to be you know in not that long ago i mean we're talking yeah. 20 years ago was vertically integrated from the oem to the supply network and think about it like delphi and vistion were spun off in the not too distant past from their oem parents general motors and ford um and even those companies have diversified quite a bit you you know delphi had, had split off into into propulsion um and and now borg warner and then the active tech side of the business which is much more software and and yeah. bought companies like newtonomy um uh, now motional um for its uh software stack to complement other work it's doing in software and sensors but what it's also brought up is a new set of partners i mean you think mm -hmm. about it like you know amazon web services and 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 microsoft are now part of the discussion on yeah. hosting and and things like that or you you look at the role nvidia is mm -hmm. playing now and the value of that company you know driven by sectors in addition to mobility but compute is also very 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 important so um i think the answer to your question is that new partnerships are forming um and are more important every day uh yeah. um how you create and sustain value in a car is evolving quickly mm -hmm. um and what i mean by that is it it used to be that making a great car was efficient packaging uh and efficient powertrain and time to market with a very high quality bringing time to market in a in a reasonably quick period of time you know 3 years more than 6 um on the inside um and producing it a with high level of reliability was yeah. important those are all table stakes hmm. 
And there are even some contract manufacturers, whether it's you know Magna or, or Foxconn or others who are willing to do that for a tier one or a new manufacturer. Um, you remember you know, Tesla going through that period in the 2017, 2018 period, I think Elon called it production hell. Yeah. Um, you know, was was to get to that table stakes game of volume and quality. And now I think you've seen uh, Jim Farley, Ford CEO, made a comment just a few weeks ago on, hey, how much of the stack do we need to control to protect vehicle identity, security mm-hmm. uh, and margins, frankly? And so um, lots going on there. And maybe the short answer is watch this space. Watch this piece. I, I I love your point. And and you rightly said, like a lot of these things are given. Now the value stack is on the technology side. And we are seeing more and more technology come into the picture. And NVIDIA becoming a dominant player now in mobility because everybody needs chips. Everybody needs the computing power to to perform. Now that's a great point. And and one other major trend what we are seeing in the industry, which a lot of people are not noticing, because I spoke to a lot of people about that, and a lot of people are not aware about that. It's called this software-defined vehicle. And, and it's basically mean when the vehicle, the significant portion of their functionality and feature are determined and controlled by the software rather than the traditional hardware component. Last year, BMW launched this heated seat as a service. It was There was a lot of meme about that, uh, that everything will be kind of software as a service. So automobile company become like a SaaS company. But Tesla is doing that with the full self-driving feature. You can pay for it and you can have it. Like all the vehicle will have the feature, but you need to pay for that. What is your view on SDV uh, as the automobile player are shifting toward that path? And how do you see that SDV will benefit the customer in terms of flexibility, adaptability, and long-term value compared to the traditional vehicle? Like I can buy the vehicle, but I can prefer not to have those functionality now, but later on I can have that. Yeah, um, great question. Um, Software-defined vehicles are really table stakes, again, going forward, meaning um, if the old way of developing a vehicle was a little bit more um, modularity-based, you know, uh, start with a a basic frame, the subsystems don't really talk to each other, you've got entertainment, you've got safety, you've got brakes, you've got other controls. And many, historically, many of those were mechanical controls, meaning... Um, a mechanical linkage versus a by-wire linkage, throttle, steering, um, other inputs. And that's what you've seen in um, certainly a push to level four and five autonomy requires drive-by-wire across the board. And you say, well, wait a minute. I thought you said, you know, autonomy wasn't tomorrow type of thing. Um, Yes, but with even level two and level three, safety there's much more in the it, the the larger point is to develop a vehicle that's upgradable like your smartphone hmm. requires a software based architecture so um some uh manufacturers are doing that themselves we have an investment in a company in Israel called Gardnox um, hmm. that does architecture for via, uh vehicle makers and suppliers um, they handle a lot on both latency, moving signals very quickly, and also managing traffic to be able to pick up a spoofed signal that might be um, a cyber attack that says slam on the brakes at 60 miles an hour type of thing, yeah. um, can pick up those things. So all of that is critical 
Um, then to your question on uh, what about paying for features uh, is very interesting. I, I think the simple point is customers will consider paying for things that they've never seen before. Mm. Um, and the reason they can ask is a lot of early adopters don't keep vehicles for very long. And so uh, even look at like the price on um, full self-driving for Tesla, right? I mean, it's been, uh, you know, I think as little as $6,000 a few years ago, then 10 and 12 and so on. Um, and if somebody doesn't keep a vehicle for very long, say two years instead of six, $12,000 is a giant amount of money. But to flip that to a monthly is something they might consider. And, and you know, Tesla has been... Um, fairly rigid about transferability of yeah. those features um, and, and oftentimes not transferring those. But to ask a customer to pay for heated seats that might only have cost a couple hundred bucks on the vehicle price of, you know, what's now on average, you know, $50,000 US hmm. on a new car is absurd. And, and they have, they've backed off on, but on some new things, um, we see things like, security monitor, right? More, um, I, I bought a Rivian earlier this year and it has more cameras and they, they call it, I think, gear guard, which mm. is, uh, you know, to be able to check the campsite and you've heard stories of, and it's a two-edged sword, by the way, right? With, with Tesla cameras being used almost like a ring doorbell. Hey, yeah. you know, Zon, pick things up, uh, detect, uh, you know, some perpetrator, um, of a crime, but it also has the the unintended consequence of inadvertently spying on you, right? And mm. so <laughs> who sees that information <laughs> with what risks and so on? So there's uh, where there are new features, there's a there's a opportunity for a dialogue on charging for them. Where there are mm. old features that customers are, especially in a luxury car, is usually standard equipment, um, charging for them is, is a non-starter. I got your point. No, I think I think that's very valid. It's like people who love to experiment probably will okay to pay, but if something which is an old feature, you don't want to pay anything extra for that, and you feel that should be part of the vehicle. Yeah, and I think the other point is also upgradeability, right? Where yeah. uh, and again, that's a bit of I, I think Tesla's point on full full self driving, and and there are are advocates and naysayers for sure on the efficacy of that system, but at least the approach of using more customer miles to make the system better and mm. safer um, stands to reason that, you know, could you keep charging because it keeps improving, which is different than a feature that if you buy a new car every 10 years, you probably won't be very happy about paying for something every month for yeah. 120 months if the feature is not improving over that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that's very important that uh, you see some changes happening in the car, and and again, like you, what you said, uh, it, the the vehicle will become like a table stack, and and the technology will be kind of additional feature and bringing that upgradability. There is a lot happening in automobile sector, uh, and I think that's what keep us exciting. The other big change is electrification. We never thought. I mean, electric. There used to be electric vehicles centuries back, but it's coming back. There is a big shift now all the automobile player countries, cities are pushing target that by 2025, 2030, 2040, all vehicle need to be electric. So there is this growing interest in electrification and sustainable transportation. 
how do you see the future of mobility evolving because you work in automobile space you work in car sharing space and now you're working as an investor and where do you see the opportunity for innovation because i see there are a lot happening in different sides yeah so uh we see innovation opportunities across the ecosystem and what i mean by that is um everything from battery chemistry hmm. to um both production and supply ecosystem and also charging. Um, now, the trouble is it's a little bit of a chicken and egg. Let's be honest, the early adopters of EVs tend to have garages. Yeah. Um, not not exclusively so. And, and again, in urban centers like Toronto and Chicago and Boston and um you know, yes, there uh, is, and there are fights being fought in those cities about charging, you know, on street. Can you run a cable across the sidewalk from your flat to your park? You know, things like that. And all that stuff is beginning to surface as penetration grows. Um, and so, yes, we see um, great things go coming uh, from uh, the battery side of things, we've got an investment in a company called Factorial Energy that's a developer mm. of solid-state batteries that is achieving very high um, performance numbers in terms of energy density volumetrically for packaging a vehicle um, and also by weight. Um, and the weight of EVs is not a small issue uh, oh, at yeah. this because it's they're quite heavy. Um and some are, you know, they clearly chew through tires. Um, they're more dangerous when they hit pedestrians or cyclists because there's more mass. Um, and some would even argue that, that uh, at least on the truck side of things, um, can tear up the roads a little mm. more quickly too. Um, so um, we are in the early innings. I would say, you know, and again, I think this is probably, you've seen some of this from Toyota and maybe to a lesser extent from Ford, um, the value uh, from hybrids yeah. in terms of achieving um, lower emissions. Um, and also when you look at full life cycle cost to produce a vehicle is a bit less for a hybrid. Um, and, it, and if you really are just kind of banging around town, exercising what might be a you know 50 or 75 mile range, um, you can be electric all the time. Um, yeah. and, and then if you really are worried about range for a longer trip, you're using gas then. Um, so the answer, I think to your, you know, we're excited that things are moving. You look at the cafe performance of the vehicle yeah. fleet from manufacturers, it is going up. It's been in, you know, a push pull, meaning push from government to provide alternatives for customers that they might actually like and demand, not just <laughs> things that, that they, that they don't want. Um, but you've also seen, and again, led by Tesla and Porsche and Rivian and some other yeah. companies, the, the new offerings, the Ford Mach-E, right? You know, I see it in police service now too, right? It, it's got performance attributes that make even the the biggest petrol heads happy because, you know, the torque's great. Um, so we're seeing things move, but we are not at the final uh, innings of this by any stretch yet. It, it's still... I would say movie is still in the progress. So movie is still need to be. <laughs> oh yeah. We're, we're uh, and using the analogy, we're, 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 yeah, we're early in it and we're still developing the characters. It's still, still developing the character. I love that point. Uh, 
Now, the other thing which is moving and which we discussed earlier is automation, autonomous mobility. There was a lot of skeptic and there were a lot of bullishness. Like we said, by 2021, city will have fully autonomous fleet and running around. We are not there, but at the same time, we see now state regulator has allowed Cruise and Waymo to launch 24 into 7 fully autonomous commercial vehicle operation in San Francisco. Tesla is very bullish about robotaxi. I was recently listening to Elon Musk and he said that robotaxi can bring 10, 10 trillion value in the company like because it will be game changer and everybody can just use anywhere and can be used. What is your thought on on the on the autonomous mobility and and how do you see the role of autonomous mobility in the future of transportation because I don't think it's coming very fast, but at the same time, as we see, you always have that superpower to see five, seven year ahead. So as a VC, how do you see life will be in five, seven years? Yeah. Um, you know, we think about this in terms of jobs to be done, right? What's the, mm. what's it? And remember, I, I maybe used the, the phrase early on the call more on automation than autonomy. Mm. Uh, why? Um, what, task are we solving for? And again, you know, uh, again, we're for all the talk about AI this year, I mean, developing an autonomous vehicle is a very attractive problem to solve because it's hard and it looks solvable. And you you know, this, this has been an insight over the last five years. It's the last 5% that's, that's killer, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, been driving a car for a few decades now and have probably driven a million miles. You know, what what do I know that I can teach my kids as they're learning to drive? Hmm. Um, you know, and can a computer learn those things, teach those things in certain ways? Yes. But, you know, we know from the recent examples with crews in San Francisco and cones and construction and, <laughs> um, you know, ambulances and things like that, there's, there's just a lot of edge cases that are hard. So that's the technology problem. Back to your question for entrepreneurs, what's the consumer problem? The thing mm. we deal with a lot is there's a lot of people that are willing to drive for pretty little money. I mean, yeah. they're they're delivering Instacart and DoorDash and and doing, you know, ride hailing today for 15, 18, 19 bucks an hour. And I'm not here to say that that's an adequate pay, but I'm just saying people are willing to drive for not that much money. Um, and I think as a society, you know, we've learned that, I don't know, I drove my daughter to school today. She's 14 years old and the seat time in the car was valuable hmm. to me as well. And for somebody who wouldn't talk to me otherwise. Right? <laughs> so, so back to the question then is what are we trying to solve is usually, this is where we've landed on goods delivery, hmm. uh, to say a few things, goods move 24 seven. Yeah, not just when they're awake. Um, goods are not as litigious when they crash. Um, people are for some good reasons. Um, and frankly, goods drivers are tend to be commercial drivers with the CDL mm -hmm. license that's a little harder to get. And sometimes more recently, you know, post COVID, it's been difficulty hiring drivers of certain classes of vehicles. So to your question, do we see automation of certain of those roles? Absolutely. Um, you see it with automation on certain parts of a lot of flights that you might fly. 
right? Mm. That some ways is better. Now, have they pulled the pilot out? No, <laughs> a lot of good reasons. But um, you can certainly handle certain roles with less fatigue with more yeah. automation assist. And so I think we're going to see more of that. So it's focusing on work to be done. But the thing to remember is what else was that driver doing? Hmm. Were they loading boxes? Were they moving a dolly? Were they moving at five feet, a hundred feet? You know, things like that. And so what are the other pieces of the supply chain that also need to be automated if you just pull the driver out? Um, hmm. And so those are things I, I think to solve and where we're going with some early applications. And, and yes, we will see robo-taxis more in controlled repeat routes, yeah. not unlike a monorail type of yeah, thing yeah, yeah. Where, where that's pretty controlled, you know, but if it's, um, you know, I, we did a lot of work in the early days of Flexcar with King County Metro in Seattle, who okay. was very proactive and thoughtful about CO2 reduction and about um, vehicle miles traveled efficiency. And they used a lot of buses to commute where laying rail would have been terribly expensive. Uh, and so does autonomy make sense in some of those? Maybe. Hmm. Um, so that's what we'll see more of um, versus, you know, your private driver coming to pick you up for um, all your daily duties like a chauffeur. Yeah. No, that and 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 I love this point because a lot of time I see people look things only from technology point of view. But I love when people say, "What is the real problem you're looking to solve?" and and you need to identify the problem. And what you mentioned about, and that's what I also personally feel, probably the good and logistic will be the first adopter of autonomy because it's less risky. It's twenty four into seven. You can deliver goods in the night. And I know you guys have invested in Getik, which is this mid mile travel warehouse to warehouse and and it can be done throughout the day or even in the night so providing that opportunity or automation is much better than saying the whole world will be autonomous and your point about driving your vehicle to driving your kids to to school in your own car you have that captive audience they will listen to you that time otherwise you will never get a chance to talk to them <laughs> that's true we have another investment like gaddock that's called outrider that just hmm. moves trailers around a terminal yard. Why is that important? Generally private land, generally low speed, you know, less than 12 miles an hour. Um, yeah. and same thing, moving goods around and it, it's moving trailer. So it's it's sort of dock door to dock door um, in what can be a little city of a terminal yard um, where hiring those drivers is hard because hmm. the skilled ones want to do the longer, longer. Or, or areas where they can get paid more um, and just moving trucks around yard might be a little harder to fill. And it's, it's a little boring also. So that job is boring. So it's better to give it to, to automation. <laughs> well, right. And if you're bored, you might be distracted. And if you're distracted, then you're unsafe. And that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. what happened. Uh, now right. other, other technology innovation, and you mentioned about a little bit about artificial intelligence, generative AI, there is a lot of buzzword. VCs are investing in a big chunk of money in this space. The The only different thing I would say compared to generative AI and blockchain is that uh, blockchain, we were still looking for user case. And in generative AI, at least we are seeing some real life user case like chatbot and for customer service. I was talking with some company which has chatbot to, to automate the whole customer service in a better way. 
recently mercedes benz integrated chat gpt in their car entertainment system and production process so we see like at least there are some early adopter to see what's your views on generative ai and how do you see it can be part of mobility and logistic ecosystem yeah we're definitely excited by the potential i mean we, we view in some ways you know this is um could be as big a deal as as search right mm -hmm. we're just looking for information what generative ai does is distills from a lot of information and says what's the next word or the next thought and 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 starts to predict now the risk of course is bias right is hmm. you know with, with search you and there's bias in search too let's just be clear <laughs> um but it's a little harder to see it in generative ai no so back to your question on applications we're we have a company, Techia, that does dealer management systems um, and a, a cloud native software mm -hmm. power, um, everything in a dealership as well. And they're doing some things in CRM and some other things. But just, uh, and by the way, founder came from Tesla, where he'd built the retail management software uh, that was in use in 34 countries with Tesla. Um, they just announced this week uh, a generative AI tool. Uh, to generate emails for dealers, for customers that are very thoughtful. So think of the chat type tools on steroids, that it's yeah, you know, yeah. a, a full, holistic, comprehensive, um, personalized email. Great. Fantastic. And so we're seeing that companies using generative AI, you know, may not, you know, replace all their people, but they will beat companies not using. Um, yeah. That it's definitely a productivity accelerant uh, and a tool and an opportunity. It was interesting, but talking to some of our CEOs as well, how much of it can be used even for coding? Um, mm. Was with a, a, a generative AI CEO who said he was judging a competition with high school kids and he couldn't believe the quality of startup tech that these kids had done in 30 days mm. with the use of generative AI yeah, to yeah, help yeah. the coding that might've taken you know a small team, you know three or four people, a year or two to do, maybe more. Um, and so that's exciting to see, again, this accelerant um, productivity driver, but um, uh, we're also in a little bit of a hype cycle too, sort of how you value and what's a what's a, a mode around it versus better uh, ingesting and using of the various LLMs out there um, is, is a bit of a question for debate on how to best harvest uh, and harness the, the technology so yeah no i i agree i mean in gartner recently published their gartner hype cycle and generative ai is right now at their peak in the hype so so we will see some downfall but that's how the technology evolved yeah no actually we're excited now i we i mean i'm so amazed to see whatever topic we discuss you guys have a a startup invested in that area. So I, I feel happy because it means all these topics are relevant and you see it's a future. Now I want to discuss a little more about your investment size as an entrepreneur. How do you manage your day-to-day -day job? So I saw the FM Capital, very impressive because you guys have 26 active company and 13 exit already, which is remarkable because it's, it's hard to get an exit in company. So this is really impressive. Could you share some of the success story from your portfolio? You mentioned some of the company where you invested in all, but I would love to know some more success story from your portfolio. And how did you meet founders and how they like scale up and exit? Like how do you train them to scale up? Like 13 exit is big. So how do you work with founder to manage those exit? Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, let's go back to the movie analogy, because I think the exit is, is sort of the, you know, the big scene late yeah. in the movie where, you know, um, it's exciting. It might be a chase scene or, you know, there's a, a reveal and a mystery and the, you know, the, the villains discovered or something like that. Yeah. But the buildup and the behind the scenes happen all movie. Mm. Um, and that's important when you think about our role as investors. So um, yes, it's identifying trends and buying companies or investing in companies right meaning you can throw money at things and overpay and that's yeah might be in the right companies at the wrong time secondly there's cultivating and building value and operating these companies this is where maybe our skills are a little different than some others because we built businesses hmm. um, and started scaled and sold them ourselves so we know what that work entails and those scars have taught us yeah. um, and then Thirdly is the exit side of things. And, and that's a lot on timing um, and getting the, the timing right. Um, I think Warren Buffett has said, I've made all my money buying too late and selling too early. Uh, timing yep. cheek, of course, but um, not optimizing always for perfect, but for solving for done is better than perfect. We say a lot in our business. So to your question that, you know, some, uh, Exits that we're excited about, a lot of them aren't household words or mm -hmm. household names or logos. Um, there's some unsexy businesses that you've never heard of that are in enterprise software that have built a nice tool, grown a business in a smart way, have been frugal with capital, have made acquisitions um, in a in a efficient manner. Um, have invested in sales to grow where they're very clear yeah. on what a dollar of sales investment will drive in terms of um, growth in annual recurring revenue. And those are really exciting, <laughs> even if they're not very famous. Mm -hmm. So I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about sort of building value, um, you know, but we have a business in that space that, that was called Keeps that we sold to a private equity buyer. They do they do um, basically yield management for dealership shops for their okay. service areas. So yield man pricing, mystery shopping, um, warranty rate adjustments. It's not very sexy, but they do a good job and have built a nice business. And there's an entrepreneur uh, in the business. Um, Les Silver is the chairman. Lee Silver runs the business who execute really well. And mm. they have other uh, financial investors now who are happy to having bought from us. On the other hand, um, we've also been thrilled of some, uh, having exited some businesses that are a bit better known. Mm. Um, some that come to mind, you know, in, in different spaces that we've talked about um, in selling cars online in Vroom. Um, again, mm. new, that there was a, a trend to make that easier during COVID. Um, saw, uh, had a team that was not from the industry, but was was natively from an e-commerce background um, and built a nice business. Um, and we exited that in a, in a way that was a nice return for our investors. Um, you know, we had another one in, in ride hailing that was a company called Via. We talked about this dynamic yeah. shuttle space 
Um, and it's really the software to make the rides more efficient and the routes efficient. Um, great team building a great software business around the world. Um, hasn't gone public, but we sold along the way um, and it's been good for us. So there's lots of different shapes and sizes on what we invest in, mm. how we exit, and certainly that big part in the middle, which is sort of how we managed to get there, which we hope we're doing with all the companies we still retain, as well as those that um, we've exited. We And we keep in touch, by the way, with those founders. I was texting with one of them you know, that we exited probably four years ago. Um, yesterday, he's in a in a new startup that's another unicorn. It's not yeah. in the mobility space, um, but I will say, you know, success does tend to beget <clears throat> success with founders in follow-on acts, and then also with referrals uh, for other potential uh, prospective investments. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point, and and something I really like what you said about the timing, and I think as an investor. You need to be, you can't predict the right time, but you need to be good in picking the company at the right time and exiting the company at the right time. If you miss that window, like you mentioned about Via, it's a great company. I know them very well. They're doing very well, but you need to know, okay, it's a long-term play. Probably you need to leave, you know, sometime in secondary and, and cash in and build more company, you know, we which is working in the space. So the timing is is very important. And the point you mentioned about working with the founder, you need to have a close relationship with the founder, even founder which exited, have a good relationship with you. It's a big thing because not many investor manage to have that kind of relationship because it's not a, you know, when you have an exit discussion, it's not an easy discussion. So if you manage that, that's, that's great. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> a lot of that is also sort of values alignment. I found mm. Value. You know, that was a big learning when we first started the the firm um, where a founder's on a different timetable for liquidity than investors, it, it, it can cause problems, right? Because, you know, uh, you, you can read as much into that. And so where we're different, you know, because we manage, you know, we don't have evergreen funds that are unlimited time horizon. Um, I think, you know, have, it's simple, but having a honest discussion with founders over, this is over the course of years, not yeah. weeks of these are our goals. This is how we're thinking about it. Um, while still being unwavering in our support for those founders, but honest about mm. our liquidity desires and goals, um, can help us when we need to diverge, um, and sell when they may not want to. Yeah, it's it's very funny you mentioned this, the value alignment, because I was talking with one lawyer yesterday and and he said a lot of investors don't even know what is the liquidity preference for the founder. Like what is the timeline? They assume that whenever we want to exit, they will exit. But a lot of founders like, no, I want to continue to build a company. I want to scale it up. And and there are a lot of conflict happen when you don't have those alignments. So it's very important to have what you said is honest discussion. And and bring both party together on common points. I think. Um, did you ever see the movie uh, Moneyball on baseball? No, not yet. But that's but, a good recommendation. Uh, it, it, it's it it's a few years old. But the simple point was, and and this has moved into, again, a lot of your listeners will appreciate 
um, its application across other sports is, is a much mm-hmm. more statistics based approach to um, athletic ability and how do you build a team around complementary skills. But the a simple point in venture is I think it focuses a lot on home runs mm-hmm. and you, these marquee, the, the story is a little bit like, you know, the person that went to the casino and the story that you hear about, you know, somebody, you know, went to the table with a hundred bucks and came back with 5,000. Um, <laughs> those are great stories. Those are not typical stories. Those are not what build casinos. Yeah. Um, and so for us, and this is a good discussion with entrepreneurs too. Um, we, we think a lot about on-base percentage getting in, in using the baseball analogy. So not getting out versus getting a home run. Yeah. Um, and we do think a lot about scoring. Um, and so, you know, winning's important. Um, it's not just not losing, um, but you don't have to get it done with slugging and home runs all the time. Mm. Um, and so with, you say, well, how does that relate to an entrepreneur who may not have a portfolio like you do? Um, I've, I've talked to a few of our entrepreneurs about at-bats though, and to say, um, some of them think their startup is the, um, and that, you know, if I've got something in my, uh, my paper worth in the investment is worth X today. And if I run it for, you know, 10 more years, I could get 10 X and the X is still good, by the way. Yeah. Um, we sort of say, what if you get two X and you get three more shots as opposed mm-hmm. to running all this to get the one to 10, does that make sense? Um, and so anyway, that's a little bit of detail behind the scenes on some of how portfolios get constructed and how the sausage gets made in venture. But, um, you know, cash is king yeah. for our investors and for startup investors. Um, and so, you know, we love the ideas and we want to change the world. But, um, you know, if we're not honest with each other about liquidity, um, it doesn't often it doesn't always end well. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point. Thanks for sharing, Mark, because a lot of time we don't discuss this behind the scene discussion. So thanks for mentioning that because I think for the founder, it's very important to understand how the VC system work and why they have to be in alignment with the VC. The other thing about I want to check with you and, and learn from your experience is like one of the superpower of investor is to predict future trend correctly and identify the right founder who can achieve that because it needs to be alignment between the product founder or founder product uh, fit. What factor do you consider when you evaluating potential investment in the mobility startup? Like you mentioned, you invested in a company where founder was not from the industry, but they understand e-commerce business. So, so you still invested in them. Are there any criteria that stand out to you? Like something you see in the founder and you say, okay, this is the one we need to bet on. Yeah. Uh, we, we think a lot about the founder story. Um, what does that mean? Um, their reason for starting the company is not just a get to know you small talk, um, yeah. but what we're looking for was what was the moment and the pain point that made them say, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually where it's born from something personal, a frustrating experience, Look at um, Uber, for example, right? Yep. Um, and let's be honest, like taxi hailing and payment was a pretty humiliating experience for everybody. And if yep. you weren't a pro in Manhattan, like you weren't very good at it. And 
you know, they drive by, you, you had to get out of the street, you know, kind of wave, you know, really, you know, make a scene. And you'd always get the, when you pull out a credit card, when you get to the airport, you get the, oh my yeah. God, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of thing. Right. And so I just use that as an example of a pain point or um, in the founders of Zipcar, you know, was, um, oh my, you know, I'm living in Cambridge. I can barely afford rent. Um, parking was very difficult and I didn't need a car that often. And so, but, but a cab wasn't going to get it done, yeah. nor was public transit. So I had to have a car, but just for a few hours, what do I do? And mm -hmm. so, so that moment of like frustration tends to drive the seeds of disruption or, or something that needs to be much better. Disruption, you know, as, as Clay Christensen would say, is usually, you know, 10% of the cost, like almost an order of magnitude cheaper of the way things were done before. Yeah. Um, so that's one. The, the second point is really a founder who's hungry. Um, they, they, it needs to work. Um, and, and this is where um, repeat founders are, can, are good. They usually have means, hopefully they've made some money on the prior exit and they're, uh, they're so wired to win. It's not about the money anymore. It's about winning. Um, and so they have a, a, a hunger that's, that they've seen and they've satiated and um, and it's helped them drive, 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 pivot, do what they need to do to make sure that the company gets to viability and they can show value at each. And then maybe the, the last point is on um, scalability and repeatability. Mm. So it's one thing to just sort of solve something and be hungry to sol solve it. But we do find founders that can't scale you know, are, are maybe good light bulb people, but aren't, aren't necessarily good entrepreneurs. Mm. Um, and so it's really, you know, being able to frankly innovate yourself and, and change and adapt who you are to run through the scale. Frankly, it's not that different from me and my job. I have to adapt, you know, I'm, I'm not running a big organization with a lot of staff. So I got to roll up my sleeves. Um, mm. As our team grows, I've got to hand off more because yeah. they're getting better and you know so i things like that so that um flexibility and adaptability is important for any growth uh leader or ceo so i hope that's helpful it wasn't too obtuse no no i think i think this is i love these points because a lot of time we just say that the only the founder only the market only the product only the problem but what you said it's it's really resonate is the founder story, founder hunger and scalability and repeatability. Because a lot of time you can create a business, but it's not repeatable. It's not scalable. And what you mentioned, the example of Uber, I work at Uber and I'm like one of their big fan because I travel across the globe. Sometimes you don't need to talk to the driver. You just hit the button, the driver come pick you and drop you. You have no conversation and they don't understand your language and you don't need to haggle. You don't need to do anything. It's make your life so easy. And and I still travel to some country where there is no Uber, like Tel Aviv, still it's not there. And and you have those problems. You need to negotiate. You need to set the price. They don't accept credit card, like you mentioned. It's still those problems exist. So yeah, sometimes we don't realize how the life can be easier with these products. And and it just come from the founder stories and founder experience to build that. So so that's a great point. I really love these, uh, these and angle. 
Now, the job is VC is also very hard because like you mentioned, you work in a small team. Things are changing. Things are evolving. So you always need to be on the run and keep learning. And you need to really find out what's happening in the market. What is the new player coming up? What is the new trend coming up? How do you find out? Because you need to keep learning. And so I want to understand how do you update yourself in the market? Like what do you read? How do you analyze the market trend? And how do you find out if this idea is a market disruptor or just a fad? Because there is a lot of noise in the market. A lot of new technologies are coming up. So it's very difficult to find out this will be scalable or this will be like go long term. Because some of like when Uber started, Uber said we will replace taxi. But actually Uber replaced a lot of personal vehicle. in in Like nobody thought Uber market will be that big. So how do you understand this kind of a thing? Yes, we say on our team, um, all of us are smarter than any of us. And, mm -hmm. and so please don't sort of come away from this, that there's some sort of genius behind the curtain type of, you know, study things and, you know, outcomes the, uh, you know, the, the bright shining light from above and, and the answer, um, but much rather uh, a network um, that's feeding mm. where the, where the puck is going. Um, and who's moving it. And, and what I mean by that in, in our firm, at least focused on uh, mobility and auto and transportation, we have a lot of strategic investors um, who, and the largest ones comprise our advisory board. Lots of VC firms have an advisory board, usually yeah. retired guys that are on call. These folks are in the job today, managing businesses of scale concerned about what's next. So they're paying attention to technology and pain points in a core business. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like having CEOs who have skin in the game, like mm -hmm. significant amounts of money on what's next, but maybe can't, aren't big enough to have their own VC in-house. And that chemistry and collaboration with each other a few times a year of interdependencies and how's one trend affecting another in addition to the on-call elements that mm. have on a specific question is very helpful. Uh, we do have an investment team. It's not massive. Um, we and they um, do go to conferences and network with our entrepreneurs as well. And then find ourselves, you know, stress testing certain themes like you know, what's the future of the OBD port, OBD2 port in the car? Exactly. You know, little things like that. Or how big a pain point is calibration on sensors? Or, you know, is um, generative AI tr going to transform your business? And so um, it's not to maybe point to one silver bullet, but we're, that's the part I might, may have started with on the the, <laughs> the dark side you know, a lot of the, again, my early experience was they're hard to reach because they're constantly, you know, meeting new people and having to yeah. digest uh, new ideas quickly, whether it's an entrepreneur, a conference, um, you know, a, a potential buyer for a company, things like that. And so it's uh, a lot of micro interactions, but the sum of all that um, really does help us you know, kind of create almost like a heat map of uh, of opportunity that says, look, these are growing trends. 
They're not always investable and we're not always right. Um, yeah. But, but where we can uh, sharpen on, you know, where does a, you know, maybe B plus strategy meet with an A plus execution and drive a nice return. Okay. Uh, I'd say our firm isn't necessarily one that's going to have a hundred Xer um, because we're catching stuff um, as it goes out for commercialization and scale. So we're not seed investors, but we also don't have the mortality of a, a lot of seed invest. We don't have nearly as many zeros as most VC funds. It, it's mm -hmm. frankly more like PE. Um, and so we're really growth oriented. So uh, I, I hope I answered your question, but maybe we're a little no. different from some other. No, it's 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 a great point. What you mentioned about the micro interaction interaction and some of those micro interaction give you better knowledge. So you have to keep talking to people in the space, and actually people who are in the ring, not people who are outside or or used to play. Now they are sitting outside, but actually people who are in the ring, they can give you better tactics and strategy. And if may I ask, like how much time? in your day or in your month you spend on learning and how much time you spend on investing? Yeah, I have, maybe the answer <laughs> is, is all of it on learning. Some of that's <laughs> fundraising, some of it's investing and some of it's managing, you know, mm -hmm. to sort of, and some of it's exiting back to those sort of three areas I mentioned. Um, frankly, that's the thing that's the most attractive about being in tech in general and, and in VC for me in particular, um, is, is that curiosity and learning and growth um, keeps me humble, uh, but keeps us as a team sharp too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love your point, like learning keep you humble because then you realize, man, how little we know. And there are so many people who know so many different things. So it it that's a constant hunger. Like, like what you said for founder hunger, I think there is a investor and hunger required too. So investor need to be hunger for more information, more knowledge. And that's only you can you can be successful. No, thanks for sharing that, Mark. I mean, some of these points are great and and very unique. What you said about you think more like a PE rather than VC. So that's why you managed to have 13 exit, which other fund mm. couldn't be able to do with so many small uh, number of portfolio. Now, this is my last question. And basically you said you are investing in a growth stage company or series A, but what advice do would you give it to the early stage mobility entrepreneur who are seeking investment from venture capital firm like FM Capital and all, but journal, like what thing they should remember when they are going to VC to raise fund? Yeah, I, I think my simple advice, and it's simple to say, I acknowledge that it might be a little hard to deliver, but the, the, um, the simple advice is build it right. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, you're clear on your opportunity. We understand in some early stages, sometimes there's a need to pivot. The tech is more applicable in this sector than here, or maybe you're, you know, more software than software and hardware. Um, sometimes it's, you know, you've got to apply to a couple of industries, not just mobility. And, and so there's some industrial and mobility or something like that. Um, but once, and it's not to overthink it, by the way, mm. but, um, you know, some basic thinking on values, on product focus, and on what you're trying to build. So is it a lifestyle business? Is it 
to sell early? Is it to go the distance? Um, and it's to hold that loosely, but at least think a little bit about it. And then that'll help inform who are the best partners along the way and what good looks like at each step of the way. Cause there's not really one answer hmm. and what building it right. Isn't really for me or for a VC investor. It's for you, yeah. the entrepreneur. So if it's, um, Hey, I've got a SaaS business. I've, I've sold three other SaaS businesses. I'm solving this. I kind of know who the customers are. I mean, that might be a little kind of a simple playbook and right sort of, looks like certain things. And then others, I mean, again, you talk about Uber is, I, I think I've got a really big idea. Okay. Let's focus. What, what would be the MVP and, and that, you know, is it livery or taxi or, you know, or, you know, okay. Focus here. Who can pay, who can prove it, you know, and then, you know, we know uh, benchmark was an early investor in Uber. And the thing that they were so excited about was the, was the negative, churn which mm. is kind of mind-blowing right was people weren't le i mean yes some were leaving but more yep. were accelerating their use than were leaving which is which is a fantastic opportunity for a startup but again there's there's not one answer it's what's right for the entrepreneur yeah but i think what you said is it's perfectly fine it's a good answer it's like build it right like your product, your service, your strategy, everything should come along and and think through who will be the customer, how will you serve? And, and a lot of time I feel some of the founders are not ready or, or prepared for that. And, and I'm shocked. I feel empathy for them. Like I know you are a founder as well. At least you work in a startup. So you always have empathy for founder because it's hard to build. But at the same time, you feel like, guys, you need to prepare it yourself better. And, you know, one of the things just on that point is I remember Bob Cagle from Benchmark saying this at Zipcar is that great companies are built on what they choose not to do. And mm. that's true for us. And I do think it's it, it's easy to be a little bit lazy as a founder and say, I don't know, let's see what sticks. And it's like, be a little sharper than that. Be a lot sharper. So. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a great quote. Uh, great companies are built would choose not to do stuff and, and not get out of focus. No, thank you so much, Mark. I mean, really enjoyed our conversation. Generally, we end this podcast with this rapid fire question round. And idea is to now know a little bit more your personal side and, and what you think and what you like and what you read. So if you're ready, I'll start with this rapid fire. Absolutely. Okay. So my first question will be, if you are not in the transportation or mobility ecosystem or sector or investment sector, what other profession you would have selected? Uh, I would have been in tech. I was selling computers in Eastern Europe uh, a year out of college. So I, oh. I would have stayed in, in, the, in the tech space. But I think you are still in the tech space some, somewhere. I, now. <laughs> I am. So if, if you say that's cheating, I'm in tech, then I, I'd be in used car sales. because. Uh, oh, that, that's a thing you love. Huh? Or in classic cars and stuff like that. There is a big market for that. Now you you mentioned you have traveled around the world. So which is your favorite city in the world and why? Uh, this is an important question, and uh, it's because I've traveled a lot. It's wherever I am, and I know that sounds like it's cheating, but you know, uh, I found if I <laughs> wish I was in, you know, pick a great city, um, I won't be happy in Detroit or you know Boston or 
or wherever. So um, life's short, seize the day and enjoy the city you're in. I love this wine. You know, you are the second guest who mentioned this wine because my first guest, he said the next one, like his point was whichever city I'm mixing next. And what you said, wherever you are. So that's the best city to to see and live. And, and I agree, like all cities are so different, beautiful and in different sense, you know, you get in different cities. So it's it's important to just enjoy the day in the end. Now, I, I should have asked this question is like, which is your favorite movie? But you have already told me now, which is your favorite book? Uh, I would say, especially in line with some of what we've talked about today, um, I really like Carol Dweck's growth mindset. Mm. I think it's important as a parent. Um, I think it's important, you know, in a second career. And as I think about whether I work, you know, 15 years or 35 years more, the growth mindset's a really important part of that. Yeah, I, I think it's it's important for life as well because the way COVID has impacted everybody's mental health. So that growth mindset is required because that gives you hope, that gives you prospect to do something different every day. So so thanks for sharing that. That's a nice thing. Now, you have such a long career at the leadership position uh, now as an investor in some other places. What one thing do you wish you should have learned early in life? Uh, I think this is simple. I think this is important for me and for anyone is learn to say thank you. Mm. It's not hard. Yeah. We we don't do that quite often. Not not to everybody. Not sometimes anyway. we yeah. <laughs> no, a lot of time I see a lot of I mean we sometimes say, but a lot of time we ignore a lot of things and we take it for granted. But uh, if I, I sent an email this week to somebody who was on my Chrysler Canada dealer council more than 15 years ago. I haven't talked to him in more than 10. Just, mm, hey, just I don't know uh, if I said thank you enough. That was the gist of the email. That's lovely. That's lovely. No, I probably I'll send somebody today after talking to you. <laughs> no, I, I think I I write, uh, I, I feel sometimes you forget those people who play some important role in life or generally like it's, it's important to just say thank you. There was a very good uh, video, TikTok video the people in transit saying thank you in Vancouver to the driver. So the the Washington Metro CEO, he put as like, we should do same in US. Say thank you to your bus driver or train driver. I agree. And and people, and it was a nice video about, uh, about that thing. Now, this is my last question. If you can change one thing in life, what would it be? No, I, I've had that question before. Um, I'm not good at this. There's a... Um... Sparky Anderson was a general manager of the Detroit Tigers and a couple other teams. And he has a quote that says <laughs> many faults in life, mm. but living in the past, isn't one of them. There's no future in it. And, and I tend to live that way as well. It's just always looking forward and no regrets. That's a beautiful quote. That's a beautiful quote. And, and, and most of the people I have, I have heard because they said they don't want to change anything because they are happy where they are. And also they feel if you go back to life, the life will not be interesting enough. It will not be like, if you know the future, it will not be interesting. If I watching a game and I know which team will win, what's the fun to watch. So, so the thrill and the excitement is when you don't know things. So, so thanks for sharing that uh, is uh, like going back to past is not making anything different and it's better to live in the, 
in the present and think about future now thanks for sharing these insights uh, mark i hope you enjoy the conversation i learned a lot with this conversation and i'm pretty sure the the listener who will be listening to this will find it uh, quite enjoyable and you will get a lot of clinging to twist hey i'm so grateful this has really been fun uh, informative and comprehensive you really thoughtful and engaging um, i'm so grateful thank you thank you for listening to this podcast if you like this episode please don't forget to give us a five star rating as it will help us to spread our message if you have any feedback or suggestion for this podcast please feel free to reach out to us at info@mobility-innovators.com at i look forward to see you next time thank you so much